We read the word of the Lord tonight as we find it in the book of Joshua, Joshua chapter 4, and we'll read, it's a relatively long chapter, but we'll read the whole of chapter 4 and pay particular attention to the closing verses, verses 19 through 24. Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, let us listen to this word that the Lord speaks to us. And it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over the Jordan, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from every tribe, and command them, saying, Take for yourselves twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet stood there, firm. You shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel, one man from every tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it crossed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. And the children of Israel did so, just as Joshua commanded, and took up twelve stones from the midst of the Jordan, as the Lord had spoken to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them to the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. Then Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant stood, and they are there to this day. So the priests who bore the ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed over. Then it came to pass, when all the people had completely crossed over, that the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed over in the presence of the people. And the men of Reuben, the men of Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh crossed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 prepared for war crossed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they had feared Moses all the days of his life. Then the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Command the priests who bear the ark of the testimony to come up from the Jordan. Joshua therefore commanded the priests, saying, Come up from the Jordan. And it came to pass, when the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord had come from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet touched the dry land, that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month, and they camped in Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones, which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up in Gilgal. 
Then he spoke to the children of Israel, saying, When your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What are these stones? Then you shall let your children know, saying, Israel crossed over this Jordan on dry land. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over, that all the peoples of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. May the Lord bless this reading and our hearing of his word this evening. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our hearing of his word. Our Father in heaven, you are a God who speaks unlike the idols of the nations who have mouths but cannot speak. You are a God who comes and dwells in the midst of your people and reminds them of all that which you have done. May we this evening as we hear your word, listen to your voice. May we have understanding and may we have receptivity to the word that you speak. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I could begin this morning, uh, this evening, and I will, with a couple of potentially embarrassing questions. Am I speaking to a husband who of late neglected to remember his wife and his anniversary? My wife and I have been married almost 50 years, but just a couple, three years ago, it was around about four in the afternoon that it, ah, it's our anniversary. This is not good. Now I'm in, dare I put it this way, a heap of trouble. I should have wrapped a string around my finger. Perhaps I should have put it on my cell phone calendar, note to self, or marked it on the printed calendar. Maybe I could ask a different question. Anyone here of late had your birthday? Somebody's birthday yesterday was remembered. I was part of the remembrance. But does it ever happen, boys and girls, that your parents, what would you think if they neglected to remember it's my birthday? Now, these are important events in the life of people. That's why we seek to remember them and mark their passing. After all, if it were not for your wedding day, that life together that the Lord has given you and blessed you with would never have been. How could you be such an ingrate as to not take the occasion to thank the Lord for this wife, that husband? And what about children without birthdays? The day of your birth, where would you be? Pretty important day, wouldn't you say? Not the sort of day that should be easily passed by and, oh, I forgot. Parents remember the day of their children's birth. Most of them do, at least, because of that very fact. They're a reminder, not just of the day of the child's birth, but of all that is entailed by that event having occurred, by which my life is become so much richer and fuller uh, by God's grace and mercy. Now, you may ask me at this point, well, Dr. Venema, why are you asking me this question or these questions about remembering birthdays, anniversaries? 
Well, I ask those questions because the passage that is before us this evening, Joshua chapter 4, doesn't simply record Israel's entrance into the promised land. Because of God's steadfast faithfulness and remembrance of his promise to their father in the faith, Abraham, hundreds of years before. The passage doesn't simply focus upon Joshua, successor of Moses, who you must remember, his name means the Lord saves. Our Joshua, Jesus, is strictly speaking nothing but a transliteration of the name the Lord saves. The focus of the passage It actually includes all of chapter 3. It's quite elaborate and oftentimes, to our way of thinking, the two chapters together, rather repetitious. In fact, if I had read both chapters, you'd probably have said, did you have to read such a lengthy passage? Well, for your benefit, I shortened it up. Just read chapter 4. But the interesting thing about chapter 4 is most of the focus, almost all of it, It's not that the crossing of the Jordan is an afterthought, by no means. But the principal interest of the account is to call to your and my attention the pains to which God went, the lengths to which God went, in order to retain in Israel's remembrance, never again should she forget this, what the Lord did for his people on that day when he brought them on dry land, through the Jordan, at the season when it ran at flood stage, and they entered into the inheritance, at least in the beginning of their entrance, of what the Lord had promised them. Now, if you think about it, there's something a little odd about that, isn't there? I mean, just imagine for a moment you were among those children of Israel on that day. And the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, held up by the Levitical priest, standing in the center of that river that had previously been running at flood stage, lifted up, and you couldn't get within a thousand cubits thereabouts from it so that it could be seen visibly as a sign and symbol that this was the Lord's doing. He is the God of our salvation, not Israel, not Joshua. If you were a boy or a girl holding rather tightly and being held rather firmly by your father or mother, as you, as the text puts it in the middle there, they hurried across the Jordan. You'd, you would never forget that, would you? There's little likelihood that if you saw it with your own eyes, you'd have forgotten it by the following year. Kind of interesting, isn't it? We'll come back to this as we go along, as we look at this passage together. That something so stupendous, so extraordinary, Israel's salvation in being brought by God's grace and power into her covenant inheritance as she crosses the Jordan under Joshua's leadership that that would be forgotten? Unimaginable. 
although if I may insert this, it popped into my head. We have something called Memorial Day in these United States, a day of remembrance. And even though we have an appointed day, how many of us remember? Take 15 minutes to contemplate with sobriety, remembering. The Lord knows that his people are apt to forget. And so he establishes for Israel, lest they forget a means of remembrance. And so let's look at this together and ask first this question, what exactly was it that happened on that day that Israel was to remember? And then secondly, by what means, by God's appointment, was the remembrance of that event to be kept alive in Israel? Those two things. Now you may say, as it relates to the first, what was Israel to remember? Well, that's easy, Dr. Venema, crossing the Jordan under the leadership of Joshua, whose name means the Lord saves, successor of Moses, done. We can move to point two. Not so fast. You, you're not surprised that a preacher would say, not so fast. My wife is always telling me that you should be a little faster and move along, but not so fast. There were some things signified and confirmed by Israel's crossing the Jordan that day that they were to remember. And let me just mention four of them. One of them is this, perhaps the principal thing. Our God, their God, the Lord of the covenant, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when he promises his people an inheritance, he will do it. He is faithful. We just sang about that in Psalm 105, the psalm we read before the scriptures were written. Though it may have been long ago, 300 plus years prior, that God had made a solemn oath-bound promise to Israel that she would enter into the land of promise as her rightful inheritance. It's not until this day that it happens, but it happens. God does it. He makes no promises to his people that he fails to keep. Now, one of the things that's very interesting about Israel's history from the time of the giving of the promise until this moment, hundreds of years later, if you were to review the history intervening, Israel's captivity in Egypt, her deliverance at the Red Sea and the like, what you will find consistently is that the children of Israel would forget as soon as God made a promise or alternatively speaking, if not forgetting, doubt God's ability to do it. You recall the story of Israel's deliverance after many hundreds, several hundred, 280 plus years of bondage in Egypt. Finally, at last, the Lord heard the cry of his people. He raised up Moses. He delivered them from Pharaoh. He, he exercised by way of the plagues, judgment upon unbelieving Egypt. He delivered his people in the context of the Passover lamb's blood smeared upon the doorpost. Finally, at last, we are delivered. We are brought out of Egypt 
and our bondage. Pharaoh has a change of heart. And he goes after the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And how do the children of Israel respond when they witness Pharaoh's host approaching? What? God has brought us out here so that we can have our grave here in this desolate place. Were there not plots of ground where we could have been buried in Egypt? God's made us a promise. He's shown us his power and grace. He's begun to fulfill, bringing us to the land of promise. But it won't happen. Now, it just so happened in God's providence at the mealtime today at Pastor Joling, we read Numbers 13. You know what happened at the Red Sea. In spite of Israel's unbelief, God brought judgment upon Pharaoh and all his hosts. He brought his people upon dry lands through the Red Sea, but he destroyed Pharaoh and all their hosts in spite of all of Israel's complaining, murmuring, doubting her unbelief. But now, not long thereafter, Numbers 13, they're at the border of the land of promise under Moses' leadership. Joshua, Caleb, others, representing the 12 tribes, are sent ahead as spies to look over the land to see if the people be many, if they be powerful, if they be wealthy and prosperous. And they come back and they say, indeed, they are. People without number. Among them, the children of Anak, the Anakim, mighty warrior people, fortified cities. Now, only Caleb and Joshua said, the Lord will do it. Let us go forward. The author of Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews chapter 4. He says, Joshua preached good news to the children of Israel. He said, it's going to be a piece of cake. That's what the idiom in the Hebrew. They're ours for the eating because God has promised. He preached the gospel, but the children of Israel did not mix into their hearing of the gospel any believing. They cried out, has God brought us here so that we would be delivered into the hand of the Amorites? If we should go forward, will they not devour us? The Lord may have made a promise, but he'll never be able to bring it to pass. We've seen that these people are great and taller than we are. Their cities are fortified and mighty. We've seen those sons of the Anakim. Our cause is at an end. That's Israel's history. Sounds a little bit like the church, even in our day. Our God He's not on his throne. He's not going to bring it to pass. The point I'm wanting to make here, and it's summarized beautifully later in the book of Joshua in terms of the whole story that unfolds in the book in its entirety. In Joshua 21, at the very end of the chapter, we read these words. Not a word failed, not a, nary a word 
not a word, of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. Now here's a Bible, not trivia, because this is not trivial. Here's a Bible question. Does that sound like a text in the New Testament? What does Paul say in his first letter to the Corinthians? All the promises of God, not one accepted. Not one. Nary a word of promise God ever made his people. All the promises of God have their yes and amen in our Joshua, Jesus. So one of the things that Israel, the most obvious thing that Israel would was not to forget was that the Lord has demonstrated again and again and never more powerfully until this point in history than at this moment that when he makes a promise, he will in his steadfast love do it. That's wonderful news, brothers and sisters, because we in the New Covenant setting, who have a greater than Joshua, Jesus, who sealed God's promises to us by his blood and confirmed those promises in his resurrection on the third day, you can be sure that God's promises, he will keep them has kept them, and will keep them. Now, there's a second thing, and it's this. The exaltation of Joshua. One of the things you read in the book of Joshua, both in the first chapter and then chapter 3, is that the Lord says, Joshua is my chosen servant. He will succeed Moses, and I will be with him and give him success. And so the actor in this crossing of the Jordan, the leader of God's people, Israel, of the Lord, his own appointment is Joshua. And one of the things it told us right in the very middle of the chapter is that on this particular day, verse 14, verse 14 says, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they feared him, that is Joshua, as they feared Moses all the days of his life. While I'm drawing parallels with Old Testament type and New Testament fulfillment, on what day did the Lord exalt our Joshua? Today. The first day of the week. The Lord's Day. Every which Lord's Day is for us a reminder of our Joshua and his triumph. That's the second thing. The third thing is this. Our God is powerful. The cattle on a thousand hills are his. If he promises a particular people in Christ an inheritance, the meek shall inherit the earth. The children of Israel shall inherit the promised land. No, no God, idol, Nothing, God, of any of the peoples or nations will prevent the Lord from doing as he pleases. 
You must understand, brothers and sisters, that at this moment in Israel's history, the gods of the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Jebusites, the Gergesites, and all the other ites were thought to be the gods who sent the rains to replenish the earth. Ruled either upon the plain or in some other respect were the, the source of good blessing and prosperity. The land belonged to the gods, and if we appease and please the gods, they'll do us good. And one of the things that is very central to the narrative in the whole of the book of Joshua, particularly chapter 3 and 4, is that the Lord self-identifies himself as the God of his people, as the Lord of all the earth. He's not a little little God of a little people called the people of Israel. He's not a God of the plain or of the mountains or of the valleys. He's the God of all creation. And when he chooses to gather to himself a people and give them an inheritance in the land that he promises them, he will do it. And very strikingly, when Moses in his ser- or Joshua in his sermon at the end of chapter 4, summarizing all that is going on here, says, This was done that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord, that it is mighty, that our God is great. He's the one only true and living God, beside whom there is no other. He is the one only true and faithful Savior who can guarantee and grant to his people an inheritance according to his own choosing. Nothing in all creation, no people, no nation, no ideology, no whatever you might think of as your God, will stay the hand of our God in granting his people. He's the God, as the Apostle Peter says, has granted and promised us and secured for us an inheritance in Christ that is imperishable and never fades away. But he's also a God who keeps us so as to secure our receiving of what he has promised. There's one last thing, and it's this. It was not only assigned this entrance and fulfillment of God's promise of the Lord's faithfulness, of Joshua's exaltation, of the Lord's power and might, but it's also a sign of his grace, his undeserved favor. After all, who is Israel? Why should she be distinguished as the recipient of such a blessing? Did you notice in verse 19, it says, Now the people came up from the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month. Now here's another one of those Bibles, Sunday school questions for those of the young people. What happens on the tenth day of the first month? Well, that harkens back to the first Passover celebrated by Israel in Egypt, at which time God had promised that the day would come when they would celebrate it anew in the promised land with all God's people. 
because it's the day of the selection and preparation for the Passover. And what is the Passover? It's the provision by God of the smearing of the blood of the lamb that is slain so as to avert God's judgment and save his people alive. And as Paul says, Christ is our Pascha, our Passover lamb, whom the Lord provided and whose blood is your and my salvation. Because of his great grace and his unexpected mercy to the likes of a people like Israel, not great in number, not great in power and wisdom, but great by God's grace. All of those things, which I could say a whole lot more about, but I mustn't, are signified by this great event. And that brings me to what God does. He says, I want you... Joshua, to make sure that a representative of each tribe of the people of Israel take a stone from out of the river and a monument be erected upon the border of the land of promise at Gilgal, across the river, so that when the children of Israel, quite literally the children, say to their father, what is the meaning of these stones? you will be able to say, I'm glad you asked. These stones are a monument of remembrance to what God did through his servant Joshua in fulfillment of his promise, in demonstration of his power, in exalting his servant Joshua, and in showing a great and unexpected grace to us, his people. And now I cut to the chase, brothers and sisters. No need to spend more time on this monument of 12 stones. We haven't one here in Emmanuel's Reformed Church in Salem, Oregon. We don't have one at Redeemer in St. John, Indiana. And so you say, what's the big deal, Dr. Venema? Well, our God is a God who is ever the same. Our Lord Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He knows you just as he knew Israel, the church of the Old Covenant. You are a forgetful people. You scarcely, if I may be permitted a bit of hyperbole, exit the sanctuary on the Lord's Day, enter into the new week, and it's all forgotten. Who am I? And to whom do I belong? Both in body and in soul. Whose blood was shed for my redemption? And for the redemption of my children, and God be praised if it be his will, my children's children. I need monuments of remembrance. I've already alluded to one. You may not think of it that way, but it's the Lord's Day. The first day of the week. We keep rhythm as Christians. This day starts the week because it's the beginning of new creation life inaugurated when Christ our Joshua defeated sin and death and was raised and entered before us into the heavenly sanctuary, securing our inheritance in him. It was the French philosopher Voltaire who said, 
You give me the church's Lord's Day. Let me have it. They actually changed the week to a 10-day week instead of seven. But God will not be mocked. Didn't work. But he said, if you give me the church's Lord's Day in 100 years, the remembrance of the gospel will be snuffed out in France. And he's right. He was right. Remember that, parents. How you use the Lord's Day, what you do on the Lord's Day, makes a big difference. Because what is the Lord's Day for, after all, but recounting the great things that God has done? Principally, the death of our Lord Jesus Christ and his resurrection. I don't know whether your communion table has written upon it, do this in remembrance of me. Why does the church need that sacrament? There are some sophisticated, overly spiritual people who don't think they need sacraments. Baptismal font, water, communion table, bread and a small piece of bread, a little glass of wine. The Lord knows. Do this, he says, in remembrance of me that we're apt to forget. It's why parents, when your children want to participate and ask why not and stare at the elements and are curious about them and ask questions about them, you thank God. What a great opportunity for me to tell them, to speak to them. To have them and all of us see placarded in our presence, visibly, what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. And the inheritance that is ours in him. And the promises that are sure because of his work. You see, in the new covenant, just as in the old, but in a greater and a surpassing way, God continues to set apart and consecrate the Lord's Day, the sacraments, preaching. One definition of preaching is you get to tell and declare to the people of God week in and week out, this is our God and these are the great and magnificent things that he's done for us in creation, but most especially in redemption. I remember when my oldest son Well, I have only one son, my oldest, who is a son. He was a young lad. He was quite the baseball fan. He loved his California Angels. I don't know if we still have a box or more of his baseball cards in our basement somewhere. Either that or we told him, you got to take them away. I forget. But anyway, I one time said to him, I said, Joseph, You know the top 10 batters in the National League and the American League. You know this player, that player, what position, what... Got it all down. Rattle it all off. He said, Joseph, I hope you're as attentive, not to these sports heroes. I have nothing against sports. I enjoy sports with him to this very day. It's one of God's good gifts. It's okay. If it's in its rightful place, it doesn't get too big. It certainly doesn't swallow up the Lord's day. God forbid. But I said, Joseph, 
I hope you grow up to be as interested, really, let's put it more correctly, more focused on the glorious and heroic things that our God has done for us, that you study them out, you trace them out, you desire to hear about them, to know them, to celebrate them, to rejoice in the God and give the praise to him that is his deserving. The whole point of this is just to say that our God cares about his people enough that he does what is needed to make sure we don't forget his great acts of redemption. The question is, are we going to make proper use of the Lord's Day, of the sacraments, of the word? Are we going to say, oh, our children will somehow hear about it, even if we neglect to make sure they hear about it? Put it somewhere way down the list of our priorities. May God be pleased to give us appreciative, thankful hearts for the means that he's appointed to keep alive in our memory what he's done to save us in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you, Father, that you are the God of our salvation, that you do keep your promises, that you draw and bring and ultimately give to your people that land, that promise that is ours in Christ Jesus. May we be a people who, while we are on our way home, looking for the fulfillment of that city, that new and better country, that we would make wise and thankful use of the means you've given us in the Lord's Day, the sacraments, the ministry of your word, to hear and to recount and to rejoice together with our children and our children's children at the great things that you've done for us through our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's